Okay, now Solomon has uh, become king. His brother Adonijah was expecting to become king. He was the next one in line. But David had made a promise to Bathsheba, the woman that he had committed adultery with and committed murder for and all the wrong things. Uh, He repented before God, but there were a lot of consequences for his bad sin, and uh, he paid a big price for it. But apparently he promised her that her son could become king. A little bit of dysfunctionality in all of this, but it is what it is. So he takes the throne from Adonijah and gives it to Solomon. Then we read last time that Adonijah, kind of bummed, you know, he went to Bathsheba, Solomon's mom, and said, you know, would you ask the king if maybe I could uh, marry uh, Abishag, the Shunammite woman, uh, the good-looking chick that he's using for a hot water bottle to stay warm at night, uh, wasn't having sex with her, just he needed to sleep with someone to stay warm uh, because of his advanced age, and Solomon killed him for it. And I told you at the time, I said, listen, I don't really understand this, but I'll try and do some more study on it. I have studied this, and I still don't understand it. So, uh, you know, everybody's got their own theory. The common theory is that uh, Adonijah, if he married her, it would have given him an inside control with people who still love David and stuff like that. And then he could overtake the kingdom. But it doesn't make sense. Not to me. Why would he go and ask Solomon for permission to do this? I mean, if you're going to overthrow the kingdom, don't you kind of sneak around doing that? I don't know. Then one theologian said, well, they believe that Bathsheba made up the story so that she could have Adonijah killed off. That makes sense to me, except that's not what it says. It says he came and asked her anyway, tick Solomon off, whatever. All I know is... And that was the end of him. He killed a couple other guys. And that was the end of it. And now he's, Solomon is completely in charge. So we pick it up at chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. Now Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And married his daughter. Something, by the way, he was not supposed to do. Because they were not supposed to intermarry with foreign women. As we will see a little bit later. Solomon had a little bit of a problem in that area. But uh, anyway, he takes the new chickadee and brings her to the city of David. Until he finished building his palace in the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. Uh, The people, however, were still sacrificing in the high places. Now, when it says that, it's not talking about they're sacrificing God. Sacrificing to God or worshiping God. Sacrificing in the high places was a phrase that they used for people who still worshipped idols. They would go to the high places, they would offer up sacrifices to these, you know, phony gods and stuff like that. Again, serious violation of the commandments here. You're not supposed to worship any other god but God. So anyway, they were still doing that. Uh, uh, sacrificing the heights. They weren't supposed to be up in the high places and stuff like that doing these things. And they said, well, because the temple of the Lord hadn't been built yet. And then Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David. Except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. Again, we will see a little bit later. This is another stumbling block. If there's one area Israel seemed to constantly trip over is getting caught up in worshiping uh, gods other than God or worshiping God in ways that they weren't supposed to be. And uh, it was just a big, fat, stinking mess. Anyway, it was just a constant problem. Uh, Until finally, you know, after their captivity in Babylon, so by the time they finally really got their butts kicked, it seemed to jerk the slack out of them. That's not too soon after that that, uh, Jesus came. And by the time he came, they weren't having these problems anymore. They had other problems. You know, they were pretty religious and Pharisees and everything. And 
But at least they finally got past this thing of worshiping something other than God. Uh, anyway, the king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, and uh, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask whatever you want me to give you. Now, check this out. And by the way, this is a, very, a lot of strange things. They would say stuff like, like we just read there, that he followed the way of the Lord, except that he did these things. And I mean, it was bizarre. These guys, it seems like they still couldn't quite get it right. But Solomon, even though he kept messing up in areas and marrying foreign women, we will see later. Anybody know how many he married? Anybody remember? Bible quiz time. How many wives did this guy have? 700. 700 wives. And in addition to that, because obviously that wasn't enough, he had 300 concubines. A thousand women. Was he insane? A thousand women. I mean, if this guy had sex three times a day, every day, he wouldn't get to them all in a year. What in the world do you do with a thousand different women? He had a problem in that area, okay? So they, despite the fact that they had some problems and stuff, God still was, you know, responding to them and blessing them and doing some things. When we get past Solomon and we start seeing the kings that come out of after him, these guys were so wicked. I mean, these guys, I think, were messing up, but these guys got were so wicked. That's why God finally brought such heavy judgment on, on the nation of Israel and on, on the kingdom of Judah because these guys were just a mess. These guys were bad all the way around. We're going to read some of these kings as we get into this, as we read First Kings. Anyway, but anyway, God shows up to Solomon, and he appears to him in a dream. And he said, this is the ultimate genie in a bottle moment in the Bible. In fact, it's the only genie in the moment in the bottle moment that we find in the bottle, what, Bible. What are you talking about? You know, the story that if you rub the, the, the bottle, a genie comes out and says, you get three wishes. You can ask anything you want, and you can have it. Well, God basically appears to Solomon and says, ask me for whatever you want. Now, what would you ask for if God appeared to you tonight? Better not be a thousand women either. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> ask for whatever. What would you ask for? Seriously, think about it. I mean, most people would ask for money. You know, which would have been a very common thing even in this time. Another big thing to uh, ask for would be uh, to be victorious over their enemies or whatever else like that, you know. But So God appears to this guy who is now, he's David's son, he's now the king, David has died, the kingdom is established now, he's got total control. God shows ask him for whatever you want. And Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. Not perfect, by the way, as we read, David had his issues too, but... You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne to this very day. Talking about himself. Now, O oh, now, oh Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. 
But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So this is what he asks for. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? This always starts out this way. Whenever these guys would come before God in humility, God would bless them. Remember Saul, humble in his own mind. God bless him. He became arrogant. Even David got a little out of control, especially when he committed adultery and all this stuff. Out of control. Solomon here again starts out in a fabulous way. Totally obedient, totally humble before God. And when he has the opportunity to ask for anything he wants, what he prays for is, God, give me a discerning heart. Help me to judge between what's right and, and what's wrong. Help me to get this. Well, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this, which is basically a way of saying he asked for wisdom. He wanted to have understanding. He wanted to know what to do. Since you have asked for this and not for long life, a lot of people would ask for that, or wealth for yourself, or ask for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you nor will there ever be. Think of what God is saying here. He's about to give a man so much wisdom and understanding and insight that he will have been the wisest man ever to have lived on on the face of this earth. No one before him had ever been this wise. And he said, no one since you will ever be this wise. So he's talking about answering the prayer. Ho Chi Mama, I just wanted to do it, all these people. God says, man, I'm going to just unload on you. And no one ever is going to be as wise as you are. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for. So pleased was God with the humility of this guy's heart. Because you ask for wisdom and not for money and honor and all these things. He says, I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for. Both riches and honor. So that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke. And he realized it had been a dream. Well, he returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. He gave a feast for all his court. So then he's in his court and he has a case come before him. This is the famous case that Solomon uh, adjudicated when he first became king. Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. Not exactly the most two ideal subjects on earth. But two prostitutes. Wasn't this against the law? This is against the law of Moses, right? Prostitutes, you're not supposed to be doing this. It's bizarre. There's all kinds of things where, again, 
they kind of let things slide in areas. They, they didn't really follow everything God uh, had told them to do. Uh, but anyway, so here there's these two prostitutes come in. And one of them says, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house. I had a baby while she was there with me. Well, the third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. And we were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. So here they are, two babies. Well, during the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. Again, when these people slept at night, man, they really slept, didn't they? Seriously. You would think if somebody's connecting something to your boob or not, you'd really notice that, wouldn't you think? In the middle of the night. Kind of, hell, hello, what's this? I'm amazed how many times. You know, you read these stories that during the night they did all these weird stuff. thinking, hello, hello. All I fear is when these people were tired, man, they were seriously tired. <laughs> Great, come back. She says, have you had a baby? You're right. I'm foolish. Of course, she was dead tired. <laughs> Boom placements notwithstanding. Well, anyway, the next morning I got up to nurse my son and he was dead. But I looked at him closely in the morning light and I saw that wasn't my son that I had born. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son. The dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours. The living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. And the king said, this one says, my son is alive. Your son is dead. Well, that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. And the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword to the king. He then gave an order, cut the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Well, the woman whose son was alive was filled with compassion for her son and said to the king, please, my Lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, Neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Well, of course, what happens? He sees who the real mother is. Then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. And when all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw he had had wisdom from God to administer justice. This is the famous wisdom ruling of Solomon the king. All right, everybody knows about this, or anyway, at least you all do now. Um, so anyway, so now we start reading chapter 4 uh, about Solomon and all his officials and stuff like that. Um, there's, at verse 20, we start reading about Solomon's daily provisions and all the food just every day that this guy went through with his whole group of people and stuff. It was a chunk. Um, verse 29, we can read that. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breath of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than any other man, including Ethan the Ezraite. Who's that? I have no idea. Wiser than Heman, Kalkal, Darda. 
and the sons of Mahal. <laughs> I don't care. Anyway, his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. Apparently, these were very famous people at the time who were brilliant, but he was smarter than all of them. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. Now, we have the book of Proverbs that made it into the Bible uh, that Solomon had written, um, all but uh, a few toward the end there. Um, uh, his songs, one of them made it into the scriptures, the Song of Solomon, uh, talking about, you know, him in love with this woman and stuff like that. Oh, by the way, I forgot to throw out this theory to you. Uh, some uh, theologians think that the woman in um, uh, Solomon's song was the Shulamite woman that his brother wanted to marry, that David had this gorgeous lady. We don't know that. Again, this was another theory that they threw out. So one of his reasons maybe for killing him is that he was in love with this girl too. I don't know. The whole thing's crazy to me. Uh, anyway, uh, so of all these, uh, you know, 3,000 Proverbs, we have the book of Proverbs. That made it in the scriptures. We do have the one song, but he wrote uh, 1,005 of them. Uh, he described plant life uh, from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He also taught about animals and, and birds, reptiles and fish. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. So apparently this guy's, God just throws this switch in his brain. And he becomes incredibly brilliant and wise. Again, like no brain ever had been and no brain ever shall be. Talk about supercharge. They say we use, what, how much percentage of our brain? 10% or something like that? Or some of us about half a percent? Uh, but uh, boom, and it's just like, the whole thing lit up, man. And he was just constantly writing all this up, brilliant concepts and understandings and, and, and seeing stuff and writing about animals. I mean, he, it was just like his brain was just constantly going. Constantly going. So in the chapter 5... Uh, he starts the preparations for building the temple. This is Solomon's temple. This is the great temple uh, that uh, was built uh, finally for the Ark of the Covenant and stuff like that. This eventually was uh, damaged uh, when they got sent into Babylonian captivity, which I'll explain to you as we go down the road for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about. But at, at one point, God had had it up to here with these people and sent such a strong punishment that they all were taken away captive. Everything was destroyed. They eventually repented they came back, they rebuilt the temple, but this is the temple that, that was rebuilt, uh, that Jesus spoke in, uh, in, in the, when he was alive. But so he starts all the plans for this, and he builds this big Yomama temple. This thing was incredible. The, the, the furnishings, the, there was the best of the best of everything. He became uh, unbelievably wealthy. I mean, off the charts. Wealthy. We'll read about it just a little bit here. But you talk about, uh, he was so blessed, they had nothing but peace and prosperity his entire life. All because he answered correctly that one request. What do you want from me? Give me wisdom. And God gave him everything anybody had ever wanted. And uh, actually, it kind of goes on to mess him up a little bit. We'll, we'll get to that. But uh, you know, money like you can't believe. I mean, they measured the amount of gold that came to him every year in tons. 
tons of gold. How many would like a ton of gold? I like a few ounces. Yeesh. What is that? A thousand dollars an ounce now? So how much is how much is a ton of gold worth? Somebody do that math. I mean, Hochi Mama. I mean, this, so they brought the best of the best of everything, and all the nations of the world surrounded were smitten with this guy. People would go and sit at his feet and hear things they had never heard before. Insights that they had never heard. And they would go back and share it with the kings that had sent them. And they were amazed. And, and kings from all over came, would send them the best of everything of gifts just poured into this guy's lap like uh, would be difficult even really to comprehend or imagine. You talk about striking oil. I mean, this was truly amazing. So anyway, he finally gets down to where he uh, builds a temple. The, the, the Ark of the Covenant is brought to the temple. In chapter 8, uh, Solomon uh, uh, prays a prayer of dedication. We see that uh, there. Uh, then chapter 9, um, you can read all this obviously on your own time. But uh, um, chapter 9, the Lord appears to Solomon. And uh, we read about it in verse 3. It says, the Lord said to him, I have heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me in integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I command and observe the decrees and my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David your father when I said you shall never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. So, he starts giving him the kind of promises that God had been given all the way back to Abraham. Basically he said, look, if you will do the right things, I will bless you. Off the charts. Okay, but, and there was always this. You see this throughout the whole Old Testament so far. God would always say, if you do this, I'll give you that. If you do this, I'll give you this. If you don't do this, I'm going to kick your butt. And this was over and over again. And he does this now with Solomon. And he warns him in verse 6. But if you or your sons turn away from me. And do not observe the commands and decrees. That I have given you. And go off to serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them. And will reject this temple. I have consecrated for my name. So obviously um, that's what happens. You know. uh, He starts to mess up. As he goes along. His sons were a disaster. And uh. And eventually God, you know, just boom. He said, well, how come there's not, you know, it says God would never leave the temple. And God, yeah, he says, but if you don't do this, I will reject you and reject this temple. Well, that's what happens. Okay. Um, Anyway, you can keep reading all that if you want. Uh, Talks more about Solomon's activities and stuff like that. Here's kind of a big uh, historical moment in chapter 10 for all you history buffs. The Queen of Sheba. The famous Queen of Sheba comes to visit Solomon. Kind of a big event here. Chapter 10. When the King of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relation to the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the Queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers, the burnt offerings he had made at the temple of the Lord. She was overwhelmed. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. 
But I did not believe these things until I came and saw them with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your men must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Uh, anyway, she should talk, talk about all the money and gold that he, she gives them. And again, it's pouring in at an incredible uh, rate. So we see in chapter, well, verse 14, uh, the weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents of gold. That's 25 tons. That's, that's how much he got every year. I'd like to have a salary like that. 25 tons of gold. Okay, who can do the math? Anybody got a calculator? What is a ton of gold worth in today's dollars? 32 million times 25. 800 million a year. That's not a bad salary. I can do that. I can work for that. And again, this is 4,000 years ago dollars and cents. Man, unbelievable. Not including the revenues. Now, that didn't include the revenues he got from merchants and traders and from the Arabian kings and the governors of the land. So that was like his base, you know, his base salary and his basic kick-ins were from all the other stuff. Uh, King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold, 600 bickers of gold. He just talked about gold, gold, this, that, and the other, and just, guy had a lot of gold. All right? And again, this was every year. Solomon's wives. Now let's take it out. Chapter 11. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, which he shouldn't have married in the first place. He liked the Moabite chicks and the Ammonite chicks and the Edomite chicks, the Sidonians and the Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. The boy had a problem in the girl area. He had 700 wives of royal birth. And 300 concubines. And his thousand wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Shemash, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their god. gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude, And you have not kept my covenant, my decrees, which I commanded you. I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him. But will give him for him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, for which I have chosen. So... Uh, God basically prophesies to him, look, you know, after you're done, I'm tearing the kingdom out of your hand. 
except for, for one tribe. You'll have the one tribe. We basically, at this point, go back to the split kingdoms again. Remember, Israel was made up uh, pretty much of, the, uh, of ten tribes. Judah was the big tribe of the south. That's the one that stayed true. Benjamin was the little mini tribe that kind of hung with Judah. You know, that's, that's where you get the twelve tribes. But uh, they're barely mentioned half the time. You hear about the ten and the one. But it's, uh, Benjamin is the other one. So uh, anyway, so, so this is what happens uh, for, uh, for Solomon. Now, take a look at, uh, I want you to just see, there's a book, it's right after the book of Proverbs uh, that uh, Solomon had written, which by the way, brilliant, brilliant, wise sayings in the book of Proverbs. Uh, you really want to give your kids a head up, step up in life, have them memorize Read, the, read to them the book of Proverbs, man. I'm telling you, it's, it's, a, it's powerful stuff. But there's a book right after called Ecclesiastes. And uh, let's take a look at this one. I want you to see what happens to, to poor Solomon. Although he's hard to poor, so he wasn't poor. He was incredibly rich. This guy had everything any man could ever want. There wasn't anything left. What else? You've got all the money in the world. You have all the women in the world. You've got everything that you want. You understand everything. Nothing's a mystery to you. Everything's clear as a bell. It, it almost began... To, well, it, as we read in Ecclesiastes, it, it starts to torment him. Very kind of bizarre. And you can't help but think the reason it begins to torment him is because his heart uh, was being pulled away from God. And... Uh, you know, if he would have stayed connected to God, I'm sure he would have felt very differently. But his heart was pulled away from God because of all these women who were getting him to worship God, you know, sacrifice to these idols in the high places and all this other kind of stuff. Uh, but Ecclesiastes, the first chapter, and uh, let's start at verse 12. I mean, you can almost jump in anywhere here and hear the same thing. Um, he says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. I thought in my heart, Chapter 2, verse 1, continuing. I, I thought in my heart, come come now. I will test you with pleasure and find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under the heaven under heaven during the few days of their lives. I understood, undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs of water, groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem 
Before me, no one was ever as wealthy as this guy. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem. Yeah, tell me about it. As well as the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Whatever I saw, I want, I went and took it. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Then I turned my heart's my thoughts to consider wisdom and, and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise man has his eyes in his head while the fool walks in the darkness, but I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise man, like, like the fool, will not long be remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. So I hated life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun. Because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he'll be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have, to con- he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. My heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge and skill. And then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun all his days? His work is pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too I see is from the hand of God for without him who can eat and find enjoyment. To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This, too, is meaningless. (laughs) This guy is depressed. He is seriously in need of medication. I mean, to him, life sucks. It just is awful. This is terrible. What's the point? I had all this. Anything I wanted was, and just why does it matter? None, well, of course it didn't matter because his heart had got pulled away from God. Now, that's just a chapter and a half here. I mean, there's, what, six, seven, eight chapters, nine, what, there's more than that. How many we got here? Twelve chapters in Ecclesiastes. It's kind of, it's kind of stunning to read it, actually, because we, we read and hear of the blessings of God and stuff, but this guy writes and his life bites. It's just horrible. Chapter 3, by the way, is uh, that song. 
to everything, turn, turn, turn. Remember that song? A time to be born and a time to die. All this, they sing, they were singing the King James Version of it, but it's all right there in uh, Ecclesiastes, the third chapter. That's where that song comes from. It's actually from the Bible. And uh, that's where they get that lyric. And uh, anyway, he's just, woe is me, oh bother, everything stinks, life, who cares? It's kind of interesting, that verse that we just read there in, in verse 24. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. I mean, it's kind of funny because most people would think my life stinks because I do is eat and drink and work. Right? That's what a lot of people think. Oh man, life stinks. But if I just had more, if I just had this, if I just had that or the other, this guy had everything. And he said, you know, really, you can't do any better than to eat and drink and enjoy your work. So kind of very simplistic view of life. Again, his heart had strayed from God. You know, it's hard to have joy in anything if God is not the part. You can have the whole world and if you don't have the creator motivating and dictating your life, what's the point? What is the point? It's amazing. He ends the entire book, chapter 12, verse 13. He says, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. And keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Well, here's a guy who didn't do that. He did for a while. But his heart got pulled away from God. At the end, he says, the best thing you can do, fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Anyway, fascinating. Fascinating stuff. uh, Again, you can read that. But the whole book of Ecclesiastes is just Solomon a man who would think man this guy has it made he's got it all what a great life he was very very depressed and empty and it's sad Proverbs is great I mean great wisdom there Ecclesiastes you want to jump off a bridge after reading that and then Song of Songs Song of Solomon is his love story that are, these, are, these are the three books that Solomon wrote. You can read the Song of Sol- Solomon. Song of Solomon is great. It, the whole thing's about passion and lovemaking and sex and yeehaw. And by the way, he keeps referring to the Shulamite woman in this. Now, if we don't know if it was the same Shulamite woman or not, but that's why some people think this was the woman that he killed his brother over. Anyway, such is the deal. So there you have the life of Solomon. So. Um, as a result, back again now, as, as we wrap this up in uh, chapter 11, at verse 14, uh, we read that uh, now Solomon has some adversaries, um, you know, some troubles that are coming into his life. Um, his son Jeroboam uh, rebels against Solomon, um, and uh, a, a prophet prophesied, well, let's read this little prophecy here. We'll read the story real quick and it'll bring this to an end. Let's finish up this chapter 11. So Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, uh, rebelled against the king. I'm sorry, it was the son of Nebat, not his king. He was, his son was Rehoboam. Jeroboam, Rehoboam. These guys need some more different names. But anyway, so he rebels. He was one of Solomon's officials 
an Ephraimite from Zereda, and his mother was a widow named Zerah. Anyway, here's the account of how he rebelled against the king. Solomon had built the supporting terraces and had filled in the gap in the wall of the city of David. Now Jeroboam was a man of standing, and when Solomon saw how well the young man did his work, he put him in charge of the whole labor force of the house of Joseph. Now remember, the prophet, or God had spoken to, to, to Solomon and said, I'm going to take, take it out of your kid's hands and give it to somebody else, one of his subordinates. This is who this is. Okay. Uh, although he did leave his, uh, Judah and Jerusalem with his son. Anyway, they all mess up later. You'll, we'll see this as we go through Kings here. About that time, Jeroboam was going out of Jerusalem, and Ahijah, the prophet of Shiloh, met him on the way wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone out in the country, and Ahijah took hold of the new cloak he was wearing, tore it into 12 pieces. Then he said to Jeroboam, take 10 pieces for yourself. But this is what the Lord, this is a sign of the 12 tribes of Israel, you get 10. This is what the Lord says, see, I'm going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you 10 tribes. But for the sake of my servant David and the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, he will have one tribe. We'll do the math. You only get 11. Benjamin is the one that is kind of an afterthought. They never really thought much of Benjamin. It's kind of a little side deal. But it was Benjamin and, uh, and uh, Judah that stayed with uh, Solomon's son. I'll do this because they've forsaken me and worshipped the Asherites, the goddess, all, all the things that they did, blah, 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 blah. But I will not, in verse 34, I will not take the whole kingdom out of Solomon's hands. I have made him ruler all the days of his life, da, 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 da. Anyway, in verse 40, Solomon hears about this, and then Solomon tries to kill Jeroboam. But Jeroboam fled to Egypt to Shishak the king and stayed there until Solomon's death. As for the other events in Solomon's reign, all he did and the wisdom he displayed, are they not written in the book of the Annals of Solomon? And Solomon reigned in Jerusalem uh, over all Israel 40 years. Then he rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, succeeded him as king. When we pick this up again, then we will start going through. These, these are like the major players now of the Old Testament that we've gone through. Okay? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Then we get to Moses. Okay? Major player. Then we kind of da 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 da. We got to Saul and David. King David is the major center point of of the kingdom of Israel and his son Solomon and the incredible. This was Israel's golden age. It was never better ever in the history of Israel than it was during the time of Solomon. These are the major players now. For those of you who've been following all along this time, you now know some of the major players uh, throughout the Old Testament up to this point. We'll kind of skim through a little bit, hit some of the highlights of some of these other kings. Again, it's just a mess. And you can see why God finally had had it up to here with these people and just sent the whole nation into captivity. Uh, then there's, you know, there's some other ones through here, Daniel and some others we might kind of highlight as we'll continue throughout the Old Testament here. But uh, um, it's kind of interesting how this is, this is this incredible nation that gets all set up they finally get their act together, and then the Messiah comes, Jesus. So, kind of interesting stuff. We are done. Let's have our ushers come forward, and our musicians come back, and uh, we will take our evening offering and wrap it up. Oh, wait a minute. Somebody told me to read this. It's a picture of a bulldog with a bow on his head. I knew your birthday was coming. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it.
Very funny. I knew your brother was coming. I'm sorry. So sorry. Oh, everybody's a comedian. All right, anyway. (laughs) Very cute. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All you crazy people. And I guess we're having some cake and stuff afterwards. So if you want to stick around, some birthday cake. And and then, uh, then we'll be done. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings, for your word. Thank you for this wonderful family that we share together. Uh, at your feet, Lord, your word, your wisdom, your insights. God, it's amazing to study the scriptures, to see the lives of the men and the women that have gone before us and how you have worked throughout the lives of people over the ages. God, help us to learn from these people. Help us to learn to fear you, to honor you, and to um, shun that which is wrong. Help us, God, to learn from their mistakes. Help us to do the right things. So that you can bless us, God, as you desire to bless us. And not have to go after us because we're being foolish. Thank you for your grace. Bless this offering, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.